Welcome into a playoff edition, third round, Black Friday edition of the Varsity Podcast. Justin Barney, Sponge Franklin. We are uh, talking just about final four times, Sponge. It is regional finals on Friday night. We've got a few teams left standing in our Florida area, 10 teams in our Florida area, two in our South Georgia region, and uh, some pretty cool matchups this week on uh, on Friday night, Sponge. Just uh, go backwards, as we always do, looking looking back at the week that just was. Uh, some games that uh, have a bearing on this week. Bartram Trail 42, Creekside 15, Buholtz 54, Crestview 33. So we we thought Bartram and Buholtz would see each other again, and here we are with this one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the matchup we were uh, anticipating for a nice uh, third-round uh, playoff matchup between the two, the rematch game. We had, you know, the rematch with Creekside, and, you know, we, we were wondering, could Creekside do anything this second go-around? And basically, Bartram kind of handle business, kind of like we both assumed they would. Uh, Creekside only scoring two two touchdowns kind of was uh, a little bit of a shocker. But Bartram's D, like we've mentioned so many times before, their defense has been, you know, a great calling card for what they've been doing this year. And that offense is, is clicking now. And just they kind of took apart Creekside, and it really wasn't much of a ball game. And then on the flip side, the other game, Buholtz really took care of business against Crestview after having a little bit of a scare in round one. So now we get the Buholtz Bartram rematch, which uh, should be—I I think it should be a good, great match. It's going to be a good game because you can't take—you know—you can't just waltz in there like, "Yeah, we're going to beat this team like we've already beat them before." You're going to have to go in there and and handle business. And that's—you uh, know—we talked about that matchup all season long. Bartram didn't have any issue beating Creekside for a second time this year, so we'll talk about that—you know—beating a team twice in the same season uh, in a little bit. Region One Three S Choctaw Thirty Pine Forest Twenty Nine. That matchup uh, comes after Choctaw beat St. Augustine, a comeback in week one, a 42-35 comeback. So Choctaw, the number five seed, they will visit Columbia, our boys from Lake City, mm-hmm. go out to mm-hmm. Pensacola. Pensacola beat Escambia 17-15, got a little sticky there at the end, but the Tigers, Demetrius Jackson, Kyler Jefferson, they are moving on. That will be their last home game of the season on Friday night against Choctaw. They'll uh, travel regardless of uh, who wins. On Friday night, um, they'll travel for that state semifinal match. So good season for Columbia continues on. Region 1-2S, Florida High 18, Pensacola Catholic 14, and Swanee 17, West Florida 14. I mean, Swanee is going over to Florida High. Florida High is a team that our area teams have seen uh, a good bit of time. I think Trinity's seen them three times in the playoffs, including a couple years ago, and they absolutely annihilated Florida High. Region 2-2S, mm-hmm. Bradford 37, East Side 0, no surprise there. Baker County 31, Baldwin 29, Sponge. That's uh, uh I know uh, I know you got some ties out there at Baldwin. Yeah. Uh, the Indians could not could not beat Baker County for a second time this season. The Wildcats moving on, but still a good season for the Indians. Yeah, definitely going to that game. Um, it Baker kind of just controlled it and stayed in front pretty much all night. You know, or Baldwin started off hot, they were up, then Baker County took control of the game there. And uh, late, you know, they got the touchdown to score to make it a, a, a two-point conversion go there with under a minute to go in the game. And they just couldn't convert the two-point play to send it to overtime. Baker County, you know, just played a heck of a ball game. You know, when you score in the 30s, you know, that, that, that's that's a recipe for a win. So 31-29, tight game. But in the end, Baker County was just too much this go-around. And uh, tough, tough ending for the Baldwin Indians, but they definitely – uh, can hang their hats. They had a lot of young cats, and uh, they should be pretty good, I think, in the years to come, actually. 
Yeah, I don't think a bad season at all for Baldwin. You win your first district title, win a playoff game at home, so not a bad season for Coach Rob Shields and the Indians. Region 1-2M, we've, uh, we've circled this region all season long. Reigns 18, Riverside 0, kind of the, the dream season of the Generals ends there, and then Bowles 28, Bishop Moore 10. That sets us up for a Reigns Bowl showdown in week three. Yep. Old school, old school playoff game here. You know, it's, you know I, I'm glad to see it because that was always a great rivalry. Uh, you know, when Corky and uh, and uh, why can't I? And Wiley, uh, yeah, Corky and Wiley yeah, had some matches. Yeah, some uh, great, great games uh, back in the day, and uh, so it's kind of a nice little renewed rivalry. You know, Northside versus uh, private public, all that stuff. So uh, looking forward to this matchup. I kind of, I kind of had this one circled. But I thought Ed White might be the team to come out of that that top half. Um, but all in all, I think Bowles, Reigns, you, you can't go wrong with that one in the playoffs. Great matchup there. Region 1-1-M, uh, getting down to the matchup. So we've also, again, talked about I thought Bowles would be standing uh, in 2-M. I thought they were, even though that lost to Bishop Kenny, I did think Bowles was a, a good pick to get out of that region. And uh, in Region 1-1-M, this is the matchup we've really been talking about since week one. Uh, Trinity Christian 30, Orlando Christian Prep 13. Tougher game for uh, the Conquerors last week than, than they probably expected. Um, University Christian 42, First Academy 13. It was a tough first half for University Christian, but those two guys, teams we know well, spun squaring off on Friday night in a, uh, in a game that I think everybody expected to see. Yeah, definitely. Uh, UC, UC was in a little bit of a game early, and then they kind of put they, they, they put the gas on them, and they, they flexed on First Academy. They, they gave them no problem and handled business like they were supposed to. Like we were talking before, you know, the TC boys, kind of an uninspiring game, in my opinion. I didn't think they played very well. Um, 30 to 13 was a a lot different than what that score indicated. They got a pick six at the buzzer, basically. Uh, It just had a lot of penalties that, you know, forced them into situations where, like, I want to say the opening drive, they they hit like a 60, 70-yard touchdown. They got called back because of like a blindside block. Then that took the touchdown off the board. Then they ended up not scoring that drive at all. Then there was a couple other times where they had false start penalties. They kept backing them up on first downs. You know, they, they gave up a lot of big chunk plays in that game where it's just that's not normally what they do. I mean, I, I think I want to say OCP had four plays over 40 or 50 yards in that game. You know, and you give up that type of stuff, you kind of let a team hang around. It just, like I say, it was just, very uninspiring game. You know, they did a good job controlling Webb. Like, Webb and, and Rodgers both had over 100 yards rushing, but it was a tough 200 yards for those guys. And then, you know, Colin was in about 58% passing and just kind of struggled, you know, hitting some open guys and, and you know, just left them, left them in the game for a while. I mean, it was – at one point I think it was 16 to 13 late in the game, and luckily they got, a you know, the fluke safety, and then, then they were able to score a late touchdown. but. All in all, they definitely need to tighten some things up because UC is a very good and capable team. And, you know, they want revenge. They want that rematch. They, they, they want to, um, you know, get that sour taste that, hey, we can beat, we can knock TC off. So the only difference is the fact that now you got you got a key on the passing game more so when Colin was out the first time around where it was 100% run with Webb and Rodgers running Wildcat and, and the running game. So different aspect of the game, but definitely looking forward to the matchup because I think both teams are, are obviously playing good ball, but should be a heck of a game Friday night. That's right. So uh, our last one from last week, Region 3-1-R, we had two local teams go in there, Union County 27, Madison County 
16, and then Lafayette 31, Hilliard 23. So we get a Union Lafayette matchup in the uh, regional finals. So good one there for Union County. They were 0-4 all time in the postseason against Madison County. So that was a huge win for Andrew Thomas and the boys out there in Lake Butler. So this fun just brings us to our Friday night showdowns, and we kind of alluded to them a minute ago. Uh, but these matchups are on deck now. Let's let's, let's start at the top. Region one for us: Buholtz at Bartram Trail. Bartram won that regular season matchup, twenty-one to six. So um, it, I, I think again, you knew that was going to be a district championship matchup between Bartram and Buholtz. It turned out to be, um, it, to me, um, I, it, it's going to be a great matchup. You got Creed Watermore at Buholtz, but I think Bartram. I think this is possibly Bartram's best team ever. They're positioned to be Bartram's best team ever. Um, deep in these playoffs. Again, you win this game, you got a tough matchup no matter who is left standing in that 4S bracket. And you have Venice and Lakeland and guys like mm -hmm. that down there. So that is going to be a tough one. What does Bartram Trail have to do to win this game? They definitely have to uh, keep on pace what they've been doing the whole season. They've got they've got to play, you know, both both sides, offense and defense, obviously special teams. But, you know, going back to that first matchup, 21-6, you know, fairly tight game, two-score win. You know, they, they uh, you got to contain Creed Whittemore, but you got to think Whittemore, Coach Whittemore, and, and those guys are going to have to come up with some new schemes to try to score a little bit more. I think they scored at the buzzer, too, so I think it was 21 nothing, and I think they added that late touchdown of Buholtz did. But, you know, they've got to come up with something offensively themselves, the Bobcats, to, you know, score some points in that game to, to kind of keep pace with Bartram's offense. Like you said, I, going back, you know, Bartram's always been one of the best teams in our area. They've always had good players, but it just seems like they either are one side of the ball better than the other, or they have some special player like a Gatewood on offense who's just a awesome player. And then one year their defense is really good, but then their offense is lacking. I, I do think this collectively as is one of Bartram's definitely best teams I've seen in their era of just having both sides of the ball sound football and just being really good. I, I think they find a way to get it done, but like you said, we'll see what happens when they get in that final four-ish area if they got to play a Lakeland or a Venice. But I, I think they get it done just because, to me, they've been more consistent and they've done better on both sides of the ball all year. Yeah, and they, you know, they played Buholtz late in the season too. So, um, again, I like Bartram, and I think this is a state semifinal team. I think they've – they probably turned the corner maybe in that Creekside game where they yeah. put things together on both sides of the ball. And that, yeah. that, that to me was the, the mark for Bartram where you hit that point where you, you lit up Creekside for, you put a over 50 on them. You clamped down on their offense. Again, Creekside was a team came in averaging over 40 a game in that regular season matchup and you held them to under 30 in that game. And to me, it's just been that game to me was almost the mark where it said, okay, we're, we're getting everything on that same page. And I think it's going to be a tough match for Buholtz playing at Bartram on Friday night, a 12-0 Bartram team, a very well-coached team. And I think as good of, uh, of a season, as good of a team as Buholtz has been, I mean, this was a state semifinal team last year. Um, I, think, uh, I think beating Bartram at Bartram is just too much to handle on Friday night. Region 1-3S, Choctaw coming to Columbia. Uh, we touched on that one a little bit ago. Um, your thoughts on Columbia? I mean, we had them high at the beginning of the season. They had two losses, the Buholtz and then Union County right off the bat. And you said, man, what, what is wrong with Columbia? And to me, their offense is still a little bit of a work in progress, even at this point in the season. But 
again, you're in the regional final. You turn things around. Can can you win against a red hot Choctaw team that has had two higher seeded upsets in the uh, in the state playoffs? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Columbia has been one of my favorite teams too, like we said, and you know. Th- I think they were trying to find themselves offensively still, like you said, I think finding themselves offensively, even up to this point, you know, they just, they've got a new quarterback in Tyler Jefferson, who's crazy athletic, can run, can throw. They've got a electric receiver and fryer. You know, they've got, they've always got a decent running back in the running game, you know, but they just haven't put it all together consistently on offense. And I, and I think, uh, you know, they're good enough to do that, but defensively they've been really good. Um, they had a tough schedule early in the year where they obviously played two, three, four, five playoff teams and, and the loss to Buholtz week one. I mean, that's a tough loss opening week. Everybody's trying to find it, find, find themselves and, and get get their footing right. And then, then they play a Union County team who I think actually, is, as we've seen now, they're, they're actually pretty good too. And then they played, you know, Trinity. And so they had some tough losses early in the year. And then they've kind of found themselves. Like last week, you know, on the road, at Pensacola, Scambia, a team who's been really good, what they do? They, they found it in other ways than offense. They return the opening kick. Trey Tolliver goes 90 yards to open the game, and then they get a, a pick six defensive score. So two basically non-offensive touchdowns basically leads your your victory, you know, Friday night. So, yes, Choctaw has, you know, found ways to get the upsets. You know, St. Augustine probably should have beat them. Pine Forest was, you know, allegedly the one seed in that region. but I'm going with my Lake City Columbia Tigers to to knock them off and and themselves get in the Final Four. Yeah, I think with that defense, you know, Mari Farrell, Jaden Robinson, uh, just that collection of of monsters on that defensive side of the ball. Trey Tolliver kick, running kicks on special teams. He was mm-hmm. a monster last year um, on uh, both sides of the ball. So um, I like Columbia in that game. It helps that they're playing at the uh, the den out there in Lake. Yeah, City. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, Choctaw's having to make another lengthy road trip so uh three in a row for the uh the indians so see if lake city can keep that train rolling and rolling into the state semifinals region let's uh let's look at region or the class 2s kind of collectively we have one team in region 12s at swanee they're going to florida high the unbeaten Seminoles are 12 and 0 uh, swanee's really kind of caught fire late they beat bradford in the regular season finale and then we look down to region 22s and that's a nice little region there baker county at bradford um, so there's a good chance that Swanee Baker County, should they win, could meet again uh, at some point in the next two weeks. So would be very cool if that were to happen. But I, I think Swanee's got a good chance to win at Florida High. I think that's going to be a good defensive battle between those two teams. And again, Florida High has, has played plenty of our local teams in the playoffs and have just not gotten it done, including Trinity a couple years ago when uh, Florida High, I believe, was undefeated, rolled in that game and just got absolutely whacked by the Conquerors. So uh, region 2-2-S, a rematch of a week one game that was not completed. Uh, Bradford was leading that game against Baker County 21-0 at the half, and it uh, got called due to weather. So Swanee and, and Bradford have been two teams we've talked about this season. Baker County, not so much sponge, but um, I think Bradford, I mean, they've not given up a point in the playoffs. They've already beat Baker County. Does the does the the effect of is it hard to be the same, the same team twice come into play here? in this Bradford-Baker County game, or do you think Bradford is just too good? I, I Sure, it definitely comes into play. I mean, I, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, always that losing team, they want that rematch. They want that They want that revenge. They want that shot to say, hey, yeah, you were up 21 nothing. We got to rain out. 
you know, things would have been different, whatever, whatever, yada, yada. You want to play that team again. And then on the flip side, you know, having to prepare and play a team again, you know, mentally you're thinking, okay, we've already handled this team. We beat this team. So, you know, it's, there's, there's two mentals there going on, you know, on both sides to whereas Bradford's got to say, Hey, yeah, we beat these guys, but these guys are hot. These guys just knocked off Baldwin, you know, when they weren't supposed to win that one. But I still think Bradford has been the better team all year. They've been the most consistent. They've been the most dominant. We've talked about that defense, not giving up any points basically all season long. Yes, they got clipped at the end of the year to Swanee, who's on the other side of that bracket, who I think has, like you said, a real good shot to knock off Florida High, I think, which would be a great game too. But I still think Bradford is the class of this uh, region, and I, I think they get it done against Baker County a second time around. But you definitely can't count out the Baker County Wildcats in the playoff, though. Yeah, Timmy, I mean, they have Cam Smith. He is a sensational running back, one of the most electric players in town. And uh, Bradford, I mean, they've given up 31 points all year, back-to-back donuts in the playoffs and you know Bradford is has never been past the third round of the state playoffs so uh, they have just not not done it and they've lost in that third round game before they've won a state title but not in the, not in the third round so um interesting no, uh, parallel to that Jamie Rogers who's now coaching at Bradford was the coach at Baker County and Baker County had never yeah. been uh, yeah. into the third round of the playoffs past the third round of the playoffs and Jamie not only took a pass there but he got him the state championship game in 2017 so Jamie Rogers now at Bradford. He's coaching against his alma mater in Baker County. That will be a good one, but I think Bradford has just been too consistent this year uh, to let a game like Baker County slip by him there on Friday night. Let's move down into the Metro category. We only have two games in Metro. We thought Metro would be the, the more difficult classification or division this year. It has certainly been that case, but we have two monster games on Friday night. Reigns at Bowles in Region 1-2M and University Christian at Trinity Christian Sponge, I covered every Reigns Bowls game from 2012 to 2016, and there were some classics in there. I've seen Mac Jones of first round draft pick of the Patriots struggle against a Reigns defense. I've seen Bowls drop 60 on Reigns in a game that you just did not see coming. I've seen back and forth overtime games. Dexter Carter late touchdown with eight seconds to play to beat Reigns when they drove the length of the field on a pass from Colby Peters. So, so many good, memorable games in this series. What do you think this one comes down to on Friday night? I, I think what it boils down to is basically can Reigns stop the attack of Bowles' passing game with, you know, with now that DJ's kind of gotten his footing right and they've got some weapons with, uh, you know, Naeem Burroughs at receiver, Cox at tight end. Uh, several of the other guys have stepped up as well at wide receiver. They, they've uh, developed a little bit of a running game as well. So I think you know, Reigns defensively, that's that's their staple. That's their calling card. They've, they've kind of struggled a bit offensively. So it can can Reigns stop the Bulls' offensive attack? Because I, I just don't know if Reigns can score enough in that game to, you know, to keep it tight. I think it will be – I think it will be tight early, you know, just because that's how games like that go. And uh, But I think what it all boils down to is, is can – which Reigns has a great secondary. So can Reigns secondary lock in on those receivers – keep it a ball game, and then let's see what Doles and the offense can do for Reigns, you know, on, on their side of the ball. But it, it should it should be a heck of a matchup. I, like I say, I've, all those games you just talked about, I remember all of them, and they all were classics. So what, you, you can expect nothing but another instant classic with a, with a Reigns-Bowles playoff matchup for sure. The other question I have about Reigns is can they offensively put together enough to beat Bowles? Now, I think Reigns is good enough on the defensive side of the ball to – uh, to beat a Bulls, 
I don't know if this game gets into a shootout, if this game gets into a, a you know, 30-point game, a 25-point game. I don't know if Reigns has the offense to do that. I don't think Doles has been consistent yeah. enough as a passer. He has been better over these last – about the last month of the season, four touchdown passes, only one turnover. But Roman Doles, the thing you have to watch with him outside of the uh, the passing, he's not going to put together a 21 of 30 kind of passing game. He's going to have a passing game where he, he's 9 of, of 15 or 9 of 20 uh, kind of game, and he's going to offset the rest by getting out of the pocket and running. He, his most valuable tool is the ability to get out of the pocket and run and move and make guys miss. So that is what they do, and Reigns has two good running backs behind Roman Doles. So we know what they are on defense, and you just have to hope that they just eliminate their mistakes. And so many of these Reigns games – and bowls games in the past, it's been a mistake. It's been a run. Definitely, it's been a, an ebb and flow of a game. And you know, in that last time they met in the playoffs in 2016, bowls beat them 60 to 20. Reigns could not stop making mistakes. They could not stop um, just getting out of that valley. And Reigns next year went on to win the state championship. So that was a good team that bowls beat 60 to 20 in the playoffs. But again, the the complexion in that game was mistakes. You could not stop making mistakes. And Bowles, even though they've got a new coaching staff over there, they're still Bowles. Matt Tovlin, Josh Hoekstra, those guys know how to put a game plan together, and they will pounce on a mistake if that happens. Yeah. So I think if if Reigns can eliminate those mistakes, keep things on the ground and play traditional Reigns football, I think they have a chance. But my my pick out of this region when, the, when things were announced, the brackets were announced, was Bowles. I think they're just a different beast when it comes in the postseason. Yeah, no, definitely. I totally agree with that. And that's that's kind of like been Reigns' M.O. when it comes to just regular season football, whatever. But they, they're always so good, they're able to overcome those mistakes. But when it comes down to games that are real critical and that really matter, postseason football, when teams are equal, you cannot make those mistakes. So that is exactly exactly where they, they can't be in that game. If they get in that game, they will get beat and, and Bowles will handle them easily. So They've definitely got to play mistake-free football or try to do it as much as they can because, like you just said, Bulls will definitely take advantage of any kind of mistake that Reigns makes. So, like they, like I say, they've always been one of those teams that can do that in the regular season, and they're just better than whoever they're playing. So they can, you know, muff a punt. They can snap it over a guy's head, you know, throw picks, and then they're just, well, we're still Reigns. We still got dudes. And then they outscore you and beat you, you know, because they're just better than you. But – when it comes down to this, you got to play mistake-free football. You got to play good football because the playoffs is a whole another animal. So, definitely, those are definitely two key matchups to look for to see who wins those battles. Will definitely be the team who comes out on top Friday night. Was out at the graveyard earlier this week. Had a chance to chat with Donovan Maslin about coaching in his first Reigns Bowls game, and he was on staff for that uh, Reigns Bowl series every game of that uh, of that run. So, of the the 2012 to uh, 2016 stretch had a chance to chat with him yesterday here is what he had to say about coaching in that Reigns Bowls game on Friday night I guess uh, you know public school versus private school you know um, you know school that has a lot of resources versus school that, you know that doesn't have a lot of resources but at the end of the day you know we want to play inside that rectangle and uh, put our best efforts on the field and you know the kids had you know it was great talent on both sides you know great uh, individual that went on to play collegiate football and also playing in the NFL now. So, um, just it's just a great atmosphere, great rivalry uh, to be able to go over there and for them to be able to come over here and 
you know, the, the ability to play for state t championships um, with implications on those games. So um, it's just exciting, man. All right, Sponge, the next one we have got, it's a big one, University Christian, Trinity Christian. We knew this one was, was coming. And it, the, the big thing, you talked about it earlier, Colin Hurley did not play in that initial 20-13 to 13 Trinity win over UC. So UC was in that game 20-13. to 13. They missed some chances. They had a, a first and goal, I believe, at the two-yard line and uh, failed to get anything, ended up getting sacked on fourth down and not getting anything out of it. They couldn't stop Trayon Webb. He had a 93-yard touchdown run in that game. And what what makes this game so challenging for UC is the you know you lost to Trinity Christian when you when you had a one dimensional offense to defend. Then you add Colin Hurley into the mix. Trinity didn't even complete a pass in that first game. You add Colin Hurley in there. At, you figure at worst Colin's going to probably uh, throw the ball fifteen times, maybe complete ten of those passes. You hope that you you can kind of rein in that. Um, you've got some good receivers there. What does the addition of Colin Hurley in this game mean for University Christian? And do you think UC has enough to kind of get over that hump and, and beat Trinity with the full team that Trinity's going to trot out there on Friday night? Yeah, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking for the you know the first time around, you know, Colin not being in there, you know, UC was basically able just to load up the box and say, Hey, we're gonna shut this run down. We're going to put as many in the box because you're not going to throw it. You're not going to be able to complete any balls on us. And guess what? They still kind of struggled stopping. The, they did a good job, but when you rip off a 93-yard run and you still collectively have, I don't remember what the stat line was, but I want to say they close, had close to three, 350 rushing still, you know, with zero threat of pass. You know, so that, that's that's definitely going to be the challenge for UC this time around to basically be like, well, we can't load up to stop the run because Colin's back and he can hit us over the top to be Alec or or Miles Burris on a long pass play, you know, and to loosen up that defense. So I, I still think that's the formula for Trinity. Gus, Gus will try to be balanced. He's going to want to run it more than he can throw it. But the addition of having somebody like Colin in there to complete balls, to loosen up the defense, to not put so many guys in the box is, is going to be the difference, in my opinion, because I still think Trinity's D is Trinity's D. They're going to be capable of, of – uh, you got to contain Oriel Gray. We already know how great he is. So, but he he's a special player to where he can he can be a one man band and and do damage to Trinity's defense and score. You know, so then you get into like some sort of a shootout. But I still like Trinity in the game just because now you bring in that element of now you get your fifty fifty. You got to worry about one. If you try to sell out to stop one, the other one can beat you, and you can't. You know, you get yourself into a pickle defensively. So, I like Trinity in the game, but. Um, Second time around, all that good stuff, you know, you're going to have to bang, and UC is definitely not scared, and they definitely want a piece. They want to knock off Trinity just as bad as everybody else does. So I just – I think that Trinity in the end is just going to be too much just because of their balance, and, you know, I think they get it done Friday and move on. I think uh, Trinity would be the with the favorite in that game, had a chance to get out earlier this week and practice and talk to uh, Coach Borland Army just about how difficult it is to beat a team twice in the, uh, in the season. He – you see, obviously, earlier this season and a chance to do it again. He gives a little bit of perspective here when we went out and talked to him. So listen to Verlin on what he had to say about beating the team twice in the same season. Mindset of the kids. You know, if you've won already, you know, they think they're just going to automatically do it again. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that way. I think um, we played Providence one year and uh, beat them two or three touchdowns and then come back and played them again in 09 and um, 
went to free overtime. So that'll tell you a lot right there. You better be prepared because the team that you beat probably got a little bit of an edge to them coming here to play. You better be ready. That was good stuff from Verlin. He kind of alluded to how difficult that is. And, you know, for David Penland III, we had a chance to chat with him this week as well at University Christian about, you know, just how many stars are on the field. Darnell Rogers, Trayon Webb at Trinity, and then Orrell Gray. He is uh, in the conversation as the uh, top offensive player in the area this year. David Penland III knows it's going to be a tough one. Here's what he had to say about getting out there and what that atmosphere is going to be like on Friday night. I think we got the three best backs in the city playing Friday night uh, in one one venue, so that'll be fun to watch. Um, it was fun to watch last time. They're they're uh, they're uh, three really good running backs, and um, Orell's done a great job this year. We he's our workhorse, and we put a lot on him, and he's responded, and he's hard to bring down, and makes people miss, and he does a great job. All right, Sponge. Our last one, Lafayette, is going to Lake Butler to face Union County. I think. Uh, uh, the, the Hornets are ten and two. Union County seven and two. I like Union County in that game, and uh, that'll take that'll wrap us up from the playoff talk. A little bit of recruiting sponge from this week. Um, a guy in our area talked about pretty pretty often in the last couple of years. Marcus Stokes, nice quarterback, had been committed to the University of Florida uh, for a little bit of time, and he had his scholarship pulled this week uh, due to a, um, a social media clip where he was singing uh, a rap song and repeated a racial slur on there. Um, you, you feel bad for Marcus Stokes in a sense, but I do think that, you know, in the, in the world of recruiting, and I know people really have different views on this from a, from a racial view, you, you know, people should never repeat that white or black. You, you just don't mention that word in a public forum. And uh, regardless if you're repeating a song verse or not, but I think this, this came down to, and I, a, a lot of people, I think share my opinion, university of Florida got a big commitment. Jaden Rashada a couple weeks ago, and Marcus Stokes did not have the best senior season. I mean, you had a, a, a two-and-eight year, a terrible year as a quarterback going to the University of Florida. To me, he Marcus was is a good high, good high school football player. You cannot be going to the University of Florida and win two games. You can't do it. You cannot do it. And I look back when Tim Tebow was a sophomore at Nice, and as bad as that Nice team was, they were Terrible team, homecoming game every just about every week before he arrived, and he was five and five. Not comparing Tim to Marcus, but I am comparing a Florida recruit to a Florida recruit, that type of magnitude of player. You can't be two and eight. You you can will your team to to more than that. I talked actually talked to two different coaches this week. This and they said the same thing. You've got to be able to. You're you're not an SEC type quarterback if you're a two and eight quarterback. And that's that's coaches who have seen Marcus and. Uh, I just don't – I don't know if this was as much motivated by a social media post where a kid's um, – a, a kid is singing a verse to a song, again, a word that should not be said, obviously, as opposed to Marcus didn't have a good year. They landed their quarterback of the future a week earlier, and this to me seemed like it was completely recruiting-based. Yeah, de definitely the whole the whole thing, unfortunate situation, big time. Um, you know, he knows, he knows he was wrong. He apologized for it, and you know, definitely is paying the price for it. Um, I know the kid is super upset, uh, but he'll bounce back and he'll be all right. And he's going to have another opportunity to play somewhere else, and who knows, it might be the best situation or the best thing happened to him. You know, we, we won't we won't know because it's it's not been written yet. And and he basically he's going to get another opportunity, and and hopefully he'll go on to wherever his new opportunity is, 
and learn from this mistake and be better and all that stuff. But like you said, and and this is where it gets interesting is like, yeah, I don't know uh, if it was 100% on the video itself that was released on why they dropped him or was it because they picked up the big commitment from Jaden Rashada to where they said, you know what, we can we can clip this guy now because we got our guy and we don't need two quarterbacks in this class. I, I don't know the answer to that because I'm not 100% sure, but it can very easily be seen to be that way. And so all, all I can say is this is what I try to tell kids all the time when it comes to recruiting. Recruiting is a business. It is a sometimes dirty business. It is a, a, a who's who. And there is a ton, a ton of ballers out there. So it, it's hard. It's hard to get that scholarship. So like take advantage of what scholarship offer you get, you know, take advantage of the opportunities you, you know, you have and to, to basically, you know, it's, it's not easy to, to make it to that next level, not only to make it to the next level, but then participate and play at the next level, you know, so get, get your opportunity and just go to school, get your education, play ball and all that stuff. But recruiting is definitely a dirty game. And, and like I say, hopefully he'll learn from this mistake big time. Yes, Sponge, I'm with you. I think Marcus will get in a better situation. I do think it was uh, an unfortunate uh, turn of events with him at Florida. I just think combined with, uh, you know, the commit of Rashada, who is a better prospect than Marcus at this point, um, the video just gave Florida a chance to to save face and part with him for a reason. You know, I mean, you've been in this game a while. You know that colleges don't like to pull a scholarship offer. And in fear of alienating high schools across the state or across the country, you know, it's the last thing you'd want to do if you're Billy Napier is to to have to explain to another guy at at Bartram Trail. Let's say you're recruiting a guy next year, and and Riley Trillo or somebody like that in the future, and you say, hey, you, you pulled a scholarship from Marcus Stokes because he had a bad year, or you got another quarterback. That's not cool to me, and. Again, that has happened, I don't know how many times in recruiting, where you have to explain yourself. And it's it's not good unless there's a coaching change or some egregious act where you pull a scholarship from a kid who's been committed to your program. You just don't. I mean, you saw it with Jeff Sims at Florida State when you had Mike Norvell come in, different coaching staff. Okay, you, you, you have a situation like that where you suggest to a kid that, you know, we, we can honor your scholarship, but we think you'd be a better fit somewhere else. So. I do think that the Marcus Sook situation benefits Marcus long-term because um, I do think he will end up at a college where he will be able to play a little bit more, where he can go in and be the guy as opposed to being viewed as, oh, we got to take this guy because he committed to us, but not being the guy. You know, Florida's got their eyes on guys in the 2024 class already too. So yeah. I do think uh, I think it works out best for Marcus, but an unfortunate situation for uh, for Marcus to learn from. Yeah, most definitely. And like I said, I, I know – the kid is definitely upset. He's regretful. He's remorseful. He's, you know, came out and apologized, like I said, and, you know, just very sad, unfortunate. You can throw all the adjectives you want he, out there. And, you know, to Marcus's credit, he took it on the chin and, yeah. and, you know, kind of put it out there and did the respectful thing and uh, apologized. And I think he absolutely knows that you can't do that regardless of what context you're you're doing it in and how it came across was um, again, if, even if it's very innocent and it's in a song that you sing often, you can't post that mm-hmm. on social media. And 
that just yep. gave Florida that that perfect out that I think they may have been looking for. Yeah, this, this goes to show too. This is something I tell my guys all the time. You know, now that we're in this age of social media with Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, you know, Facebook, whatever you name it, and TikTok. You you know, you go out there and you are you are yourself. You are your brand. You're putting out there what you want people to see you. So, you know, what would you do? It's almost like one of those things is what would you do if your parents were sitting next to you? What would you do if your principal or your coach, if I'm sitting right next to you in the car while that's going on, what, would you do that? And probably the answer is no. And then on the flip side of that too is why would you think it's a good idea to post it to social media for likes, for views, for whatever? And it's just like, I like that's the one thing I hate that the kids feel like they got to get self-gratification from their peers or everyone else like you know and that that to me has is always been a bothersome thing to me is like players think that they have to get likes and views on their social media platforms to be you know taken you know serious or like they're like like they got something you know the clout and it it's one of those things that you got to be smart before you post man and like you just can't can't do it so like this is a learning experience for a lot of kids, you know, and it just sucks that it happened to be a kid that we both know and a kid that we both like and a kid that, you know, we hope the future is bright for. So definitely a learning experience all across the board. And, you know, just uh, it's, like I said, it's a cutthroat world. It's a, recruiting yeah, is definitely. a cutthroat. And, you know, you're definitely. right. I looked over the Florida message boards at, yeah, after that all broke and Florida fans were actually excited that Stokes was no longer part of the class, which, is again, I, I, I think <laughs> if you read the room, it was the best thing. You know, Florida clearly did not want Mark Stokes. Had this been Jaden Rashada in the same situation, I don't think we're uh, we're talking about this right now. But it became uh, when they got the Rashada commitment, it, it became Marcus became uh, a guy who they probably wanted to allocate that scholarship to somewhere else, and um, an unfortunate situation. But Marcus, with that post that uh, was out there, I think gave them that perfect opportunity. But um, I respect to Marcus for, for owning up to it. And it's a tough lesson, as you mentioned, I've seen many of these social media situations before where made out of result in the loss of a scholarship, but, uh, it resulted in some significant blowback and, uh, uh, some very public damage and, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of hurt feelings and, um, more than anything, a learning experience for Marcus. And I do like you, I think he ends up somewhere else, uh, in a better situation for him. I don't think at Florida it would have worked out long-term. Definitely. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that is the case. And like I said, we'll, the future will tell us what happens and, and, you know, we'll be able to look back on this and say, yeah, that ended up working out and I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad it worked out for him. So that's what, uh, that's what I'm hoping for. And uh, hopefully that, that'll be the end result for sure. That will do it for another edition of the varsity podcast, regional finals Friday. Thanks for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving for Spence Franklin and Justin Barney. We'll catch you next week.